All right, welcome back to the Iron Curtain, where we bring you a class-conscious analysis of historical and current events which are pertinent to the international working class movement. Now today we have a full house. We have the entire Iron Curtain podcast gang here. My name is FBK, and we're joined by none other than Comrade Keck, Danky Kang, and Angry Dumpster, and Tactical Spork. So today we'll be talking about Marxism versus the conspiracy mindset. To do this, we'll examine the history of conspiracy theories, as well as how conspiracy theories present a non-class way to analyze the contradictions in society, effectively giving the working class an easier and more simplistic way to conceptualize the rule of the elite. So to get this discussion going, we'll have Comrade Denke and Comrade Keck give a presentation on this. So to kick us off here, Denke, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, um, so there's a quite a few people out there who consider Marxism to be a conspiracy theory. And usually uh, when they do this, they make the comparison with the Marxist concept of the bourgeoisie to the conspiratorial concept of the Illuminati. And to a casual observer, the Marxists claim that a small elite group of people control our entire society sounds an awful lot like the Illuminati. And this ultimately serves to minimize the class struggle and, and uh, confine it to a fringe idea rather than a harsh, uh, all-encompassing reality by associating it with the overwhelming number of baseless and absurd conspiracy theories that populate the internet. Now, such a, a shallow interpretation of Marxism, that's relatively common, but even a bit of basic research into Marxism shows that Marx bases uh, his ideas, first and foremost, in the dialectical and material struggle, something which is tangible and observable. And this allowed Marx to produce a model of historical and dialectical materialism based not in uh, personal bias or utopian mumbo-jumbo, but a scientific analysis of the trajectory of human development and class relations throughout history. So it's this self-analytical, the self-critical and scientific approach that distinguishes Marxism from conspiracy theories. And in talking about conspiracies, uh, however, it becomes very important, particularly in America, to look at how conspiracies are shaped by the political establishment. Uh, conspiracies come in many shapes and sizes, but the most influential of these conspiracies are political in nature. So let's look at someone who's made a career off of peddling and conspiracies, uh, Alex Jones. Now, as someone who used to listen to Alex Jones, I can tell you what drew me in initially and why I think he appeals to many people. At the time, uh, I was a libertarian, around 15 years old, uh, but I also had a big opposition to corporatism, something that I deemed a, you know, a bastardization of true capitalism. And I opposed U.S. intervention and imperialism. Now, when you watch the mainstream media at that time, there was talk about pulling out of the Middle East. But there was no real criticism of our foreign policy beyond scolding George W. Bush. But as Obama largely continued Bush's foreign policy, escalating it in many areas, there was increasingly little criticism from the liberal media of Obama's foreign policy. Now... Along comes Alex Jones, and he tells you, the mainstream media lies to you. 
uh, Obama and Bush, they're both puppets. And this makes you think, uh, who are they the puppets of? So this it's at this point that most Americans are at. They're aware, at least on some level, that the system is rigged. Uh, our media is controlled by some group somewhere. And our government is run by a shadowy deep state. And this is why conspiracy theorists are so dangerous. Because this is where people like Alex Jones swoop in and rather than introduce you to the concept of class struggle, something rooted in material reality, he throws all this bullshit uh, at you about how satanic vampire Bilderberg cults are controlling society. And he takes what could be potential communists and turns them into potential customers for his online male vitality supplement shop. So Alex Jones, he also frequently shills for Trump and joins Trump in ranting against the uh, fake news media while ironically peddling in fake news himself. And we can see that through Alex Jones and InfoWars, uh, people are pipelined towards supporting Trump. Thus, the conspiracies peddled on InfoWars must be carefully manicured to support the Trump narrative. Uh, in a different branch of the internet, although not at all unlike Alex Jones, is the QAnon conspiracy. The belief that a rogue deep state agent by the name of Q is relaying insider information about a secret deep state plot ran by the Clintons to undermine Trump. When they say that, uh, you know, when Trump spouts nonsense, like kafefe, that really Trump is speaking in code, secretly announcing the coming of a great awakening where the lid will be blown off the deep state conspiracy and the Clintons and their supporters will be brought to justice and America restored. Now, it doesn't matter how many false uh, QAnon accounts get closed down after taking in tons of donation money or how many of uh, Q's predictions fail to come true. Uh, one that comes to my mind is the infamous failed prediction of an Antifa uprising in November 2017. It never happened. Uh, people will continue, unfortunately, to still believe in Q, because at this point their belief isn't rooted in facts and logic. You know, the whole Ben Shapiro thing, facts and logic. Uh, they're rooted instead in baseless conspiracies, reinforcing their personal bias. They have been conditioned by their QAnon buddies uh, to disbelieve any naysayers, much like a religious fanatic. And it's this kind of fanaticism that is being used and weaponized by the right wing in much the same way as they use religious fanaticism. In the uh, canon, the spiritual canon of right-wing conspiracies, things like QAnon and Pizzagate are akin to the Gospels. These are things which are believed so strongly that no amount of facts will ever dissuade them. And the sad thing about all of this is that real conspiracies do exist. These are real conspiracies. They have facts. They have data. They have proof. The idea of the Holodromor is a conspiracy that Stalin would deliberately uh, punish the Ukrainian people by engineering a famine or a genocide. That was a conspiracy pushed by the bourgeois media. Obviously, 
the motive was to discredit the USSR, uh, to discredit socialism, to discredit Stalin. And yet you don't see folks like Alex Jones talking about this because it's politically inconvenient for him. In fact, Alex Jones peddles this lie too. So these, you know, quote unquote, conspiracy buffs who are ahead of the curve by buying into the most basic bourgeois propaganda. It's no surprise that these people are also libertarians, also known as uh, anarcho-capitalists, the most pathetic bootlicking ideology to ever exist. Now, isn't it ironic that when we try to discuss conspiracies against the USSR or against China or uh, the DPRK or Venezuela or Cuba, the, these uh, unplugged red-pilled info warriors have nothing to say except bourgeois bullshit. And as much as they would like to fancy themselves as not being sheeple, ultimately, they're sheeple. So that was the basic uh, you know, takeaway of what I wanted to say. Now, I think up next, we have a statement from Comrade Keck about the phenomenon of conspiracy theories. Thank you, um, Danky. My little essay is entitled on the phenomenon of conspiracy theories. As we all know, we live in volatile times. The line between fact and fiction has been blurred by the advent of fake news. Our mainstream media bias reporting is extremely difficult. The bias swings both ways. You have most of the large networks landing somewhere liberal, while the vast majority of local stations are owned by groups that swing conservative. If you pile that on with the sensationalism inherent in the media, with the 24-hour news cycle and the concept of fake news, which questions the precision and validity of reporting and journalism as though the content is somehow automatically false when faced with the accusation of being fake news, your result is low trust in institutions, specifically free broadcasting, reporting, and journalism. We live in a time where fact and opinion exist in some kind of limbo and are often confused for one another and weighed the same. Conspiracies thrive in these conditions. Philosophically, consideration of conspiracy theories can be dated back to Niccolo Machiavelli, the prince. Robert Blaskowitz notes uses of the term as early as the 19th century. However, scholars argue that conspiracy theories one, were once limited to fringe audiences, have become popular in mass media, contributing to conspiracism emerging as a cultural phenomenon in the USA in the late 20th and early 21st century. It wasn't until then that conspiracy theories were legitimately discussed in the scientific and philosophical circles. The first to academically examine conspiracy theories was Karl Popper. Comprising only a few pages in Popper's book, The Open Society and Its Enemies, he dismisses what he calls the conspiracy theory of society. Popper considers the conspiracy theory of society as a false attempt to or as a false attempt to the explanation of social phenomena. The theory attempts to explain a social phenomena by discovering people who have planned and conspired to bring the phenomenon about. That is to say that Popper doesn't believe that conspiracy theories occur, or doesn't believe that conspiracy theories occur. He believes that few conspiracies are successful. 
since most things don't turn out exactly as intended, and it is precisely the unforeseen consequences of unintentional human actions that social sciences ought to explain, according to Popper. A reasonable and neutral definition for conspiracy theory can be found in the Oxford English Dictionary that defines the phrase as the theory that an event or phenomenon occurs as a result of conspiracy between interesting parties, specifically a belief that some covert but influential agency, typically political in motivation and oppressive in intent, is responsible for an unexplained event. And an important differentiation is that conspiracy theories is not conspiracy. Mar Michael Barkun writes that conspiracies are actually covert plots planned and or carried out by two or more persons, whereas a conspiracy theory is an intellectual construct, a template imposed upon the world to give the appearance of order to events. Believing that some small and hidden group has manipulated events, a conspiracy theory can be local or international, focused on single events or covering multiple incidences in entire countries, regions, and periods of history. Conspiracy theorists see themselves as having privileged access to a special knowledge or special mode of thought that separates them from the masses who believe the official account. Barkin differentiates differentiation is important because it provides critical insight into what conspiracy theories believe and how they view themselves. In an age where an unsurmountable amount of information barrages us each day, conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists attempt to give form to the chaos and represent supposed light in the tunnel of darkness that is ignorance of the masses. The insight offered by conspiracy theorists and the reason behind said insight clears the way for a Marxist criticism surrounding the motivations behind some of the individuals who purport these ideas and the conditions that support them. Considering 9-11, we'll never know the exact extent to which the USA was complicit or the full story, but that can be said of most historical events. JFK potentially had some shady involvement. The moon landing was confirmed by the USSR as well as anyone with the proper telescope and lasers. However, is the video footage legitimate? Maybe, maybe not. But a personal and at first appearance silly conspiracy theory that I'm passionate about discussing and purported by History Channel and the late night or the late night radio talk show Coast to Coast AM is the inherent racism behind the alien or the ancient alien science. Specifically the idea that just because white people didn't build it doesn't mean it was aliens. That isn't to say there isn't life on other planets, but it's extremely unlikely that they have visited Earth, let alone interacted with us. The modern ancient alien science dates back to Heinrich von Dyken's 1968 book, Chariot of the Gods. The book describes von Dyken's hypothesis that technologies and religions of many ancient civilizations were given to them by ancient astronauts who were welcomed as gods. A few artifacts include the Maui of Easter Island and the Egyptian pyramids. An additional example is the Nazca lines in Peru, which von Durkin says may have been constructed by humans as crude replicas of previous alien structures as a way to call the aliens back to Earth, similar to the cargo cults that formed during, the, during and after World War II. In the book, he also suggests that ancient artwork throughout the world could be perceived as depicting astronauts, air and space vehicles, complex technology, and extraterrestrials. 
von dark Dykens points to objects that he believes are similar in art, but of unrelated cultures. A few artworks that he cites include the ancient Japanese Doga figures, which he believes to depict astronauts in spacesuits, and the 3,000-year-old carving in an ancient Egyptian New Kingdom temple that appears to depict helicopter-like machines. Lastly, the book concludes that the origins of religions including the Old Testament of the Bible, are the human reactions to contact with alien races. Von Dyken thought that humans considered the technology of aliens to be supernatural and consequently alien, aliens themselves to be gods. He inquires if the oral and literal traditions of most religions contain references to visitors from the stars and vehicles traveling through air and space. He says that these literal descriptions have changed through the passage of time. A few examples include the Ark of the Covenant and Ezekiel's vision of angels and the wheels. That said, there's a darker side to Von Dyken's narrative. It is noteworthy that many ancient alien theorists focus on archaeological structures at sites within Egypt, Africa, South America, and North America, while supporting Eurocentrism or Eurocentrism through undermining the achievements produced by the natives of these locations. Here are a few quotes from Eric von Dyken's that express some of his beliefs. The, ev the evolutionists say the man descended from monkeys, yet who has ever seen a white monkey or a dark ape with curly hair such as the black race has? Were the extraterrestrials able to opt between different races from the beginning? Did they endow different human groups with different abilities to survive in different climatic and geographical conditions? Today, it is assumed that primitive man had dark skin. Was the black race a failure, and did the extraterrestrials change the genetic code by gene surgery and then program a white or yellow race? Nearly all Negroes are musical. They have rhythm in their blood. I quite understand that I'm playing with dynamite if I ask whether the extraterrestrials allotted specific tasks to basic races from the very beginning, i.e. programmed them with specific abilities. I'm not a racist, yet my thirst for knowledge enables me to ignore the taboo on asking racial questions simply because it's untimely and dangerous. Why are we like we are? Once the basic question is accepted, we cannot and should not avoid the explosive sequel. Is there a chosen race? Von Dyken concludes that if evolution existed, then the black race would have been the first to evolve. Since black people did not spread out across the globe, they did not evolve. Instead, according to Von Dyken, the aliens established different colored people across the world for the educative effect. But where does the foundation for these beliefs come from? The basic tenets of alt archaeology and alt history are linked to the ideology and program of national socialism, although it would be inaccurate to say that the Nazis invented it. The Nazis shamelessly stole their beliefs in a pure Aryan race with a glorious ancient past and distinct genetic history from the transatlantic 19th century occult seat that had a heavy German influence. When Hitler gained power, this belief was institutionalized in the form of the Ancestral Heritage and Teaching Society, or, and I'm going to butcher this, Ahrendbrah. 
A-H-N-E-N-E-R-B-E. Ahenbra. An old archaeological research group founded by Heinrich Himmler and the Atlantis theorist Hermann Reith. Utilizing Ahenbra, the Nazis scavenged the globe in search of possibly super relic or supernatural relics holding hints of ancient Aryan glory. For example, after Nazis leaders read an Icelandic epic poem in 1938, Ahundra, or the Institute, dispatched a team to Iceland for the purpose of discovering the lost Aryan civilization of Thule. One of the interests Nazis had in the Thule legend was its depiction of an ancient Aryan giant. Another more sinister instance of a conspiracy theory rooted in national socialism, still espoused by right-wing pundits such as Jordan Peterson, Denise Dispinoza, Ben Shapiro, Charlie Kirk, Rush Limbaugh, and Dennis Prager, under the guise of multiculturalism, cultural war, white genocide, and the destruction of Western Christian values, is cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism refers to a far-right anti-Semitic conspiracy theory which claims that the Frankfurt School is part of an ongoing academic, mass-media, intellectual effort to undermine, replace, and destroy culture, destroy Western culture and values. According to the theory, which its contemporary usage emerged in the late 1990s, the Frankfurt School and other Marxist theorists were part of a conspiracy to deconstruct Western society by subverting Christian Christianity and traditional conservatism, utilizing multiculturalism, 1960s countercultures, progressive politics, and political correctness. In the USA, the most substantial institute support for the theory of cultural Marxism comes from Reinrich, Lind, and their Free Congress Foundation, or FCF. The FCF, wrote Lind, was the first Washington-based conservative think tank to develop a new cultural conservatism aimed directly at the cause of America's cultural decline. Paul Reich, one of the co-founders of the FCF, plays a significant role in the popularization of the theory. Weirich is associated with American religious fundamentalists and paleo-conservatism. Circa 1998, at the Conservative Leadership Conference of the Svitas Institute, Reich published a speech in, in his Cultural War letter. William S. Lynn, at the request of Reich, wrote a short history of his concept of cultural Marxism for the Free Congress Foundation. Lynn identifies the presence of openly gay people on television as proof of uh, a proof of cultural Marxism and claims that Herbert Marcus considered a coalition of students, feminist women, blacks, and homosexuals as a vanguard of cultural revolution. Over the past three decades, Weinrich has been crucial in the development of the right's most influential institutions. He helped establish the Heritage Foundation, now one of the most powerful think tanks in the country, with funding. He is a founder of the American Legislative Exchange Council, a corporate sponsored group of over a hundred of over a hundred of conservative lawmakers. Also, he contributed to the foundations of two key conservative coalitions. The Reverend Jerry Falwell, or Falwell's Moral Majority in the 70s 
and the Pat Robertson Christianity Coalition a decade later. Weinrich authored a letter to conservative movement in 1999 where he criticized the widespread popularity of the ideology of political correctness and the cultural disintegration that is gripping society. He argues that conservatives need to separate themselves from the institutes that have been captured by the ideology of political correctness. Reinrich criticizes the columnist Richard Cohen for Cohen criticizing then-National Rifle Associated spokesman Charlton Heston with adhering so slavishly to the line laid down by the Frankfurt School. Additionally, Reinrich wrote, Surely Cohen must recognize that political correctness is an ideology that demands we all accede to many, to many lies. The man and the woman are interchangeable, that there are no differences among races or ethnic groups within races. When those groups are taken as a whole, as PC demands, that homosexuality is normal, he wrote. This is, in fact, the unholy trinity that political correctness requires we all bow down and worship racism, sexism, and homophobia. Also, according to the New York Observer, columnist Joe Constant, not surprisingly, Weinrich has a habit of flirting with racist and anti-Semites that date back to his early involvement with George Wallace's America Independent Party. One example provided in the article cites a 2001 Easter email sent by Reinrich to thousands of his supporters stating Christ was crucified by the Jews. But where did cultural Marxism come from, and what is its connection to anti-Semitism? In order to answer this question, we have to examine the Frankfurt School. The Wikipedia article says, The Frankfurt School is a school of social theory and critical philosophy associated with the Institute for Social Research in Goethe University, Frankfurt. Founded in the Weimar Republic, 1918 and 1933, during the European interwar period, 1918 and 1939, the Frankfurt School comprised intellectuals, academics, and political dissidents who were ill-fated to the contemporary social economic, social economic system, capitalists, fascists, and communists of the 1930s. The Frankfurt theorists proposed that social theory was inadequate for explaining the turbulent political factionalism and reactionary politics occurring ostensibly liberal capitalist society in the 20th century. Critical of capitalism and of Marxist-Leninism as philosophically inflexible systems of social organization, the school's critical theory research indicated alternative paths to realizing the social development of a society and nation. Now, how does that Frankfurt School factor into Nazism? Well, because the school was located in Germany. The Nazis, running wild with anti-intellectualism and spinning the myth of Jewish Bolshevism, leading to many accounts of political violence. The founders, having a sizable Jewish population, decided to first move from Frankfurt to Geneva and then to New York City in 1935, where the Frankfurt School joined Columbia University. Jewish Bolshevism, or Judeo-Bolshevism, is the anti-Semitic and anti-communist allegation that Jews were responsible for the Russian Revolution in 1917 and that they held primary power amongst the 
Bolsheviks who led the revolution. Joseph, Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's uh, propaganda minister in 1935 at the Nazi Congress, presented a speech entitled Communism with the Mask Off, listed evil, evil Jewish Marxists from Karl Marx to Ferdinand Lasselle, Leo Trotsky, Karl Redek, and Rosa Luxemburg. Goebbels said it was the Jews who discovered Marxism. It is the Jews who, for decades past, has endeavored to stir up world revolution through the medium of Marxism. It is the Jews who is today at the head of Marxism in all countries of the world. Only in the brain of a nomad who is without nation, race, and country could this Satanism have been hatched. The Jewish people were largely considered outsiders, living mainly in Europe's large cities. The German-Jewish philosopher Hannah Ardent emphasizes how Marxist internationalist ideas found appeal for East and Central European Jews in an essay. Ardent reasoned that because Jews had no true homeland, it was easier for them to accept the notion that the fatherland, the working class, is the, is the social socialist movement. So like many conspiracy theories, the idea of Jewish Bolshevism started from a minor truth. The Nazis and other anti-communist right-wing organizations and movements used this to create the narrative of an international conspiracy, depicting the Jew Jewish people as traitors ready to stab their own country in the back. However, in this Nazi's version, this led to the stab in the back myth. The convenient claim that Germany wasn't bested on the battlefield in World War I, but stabbed in the back by Jewish saboteurs and other fringe groups of society. Although in reality, the war was lost due to a two-front war long before the fall of 1918, when German soldiers raised a mutiny and initiated the brief German Revolution. And consequently, the waves of murderers, or murders that followed, including the death of Rosa Luxemburg. At the root of it, many internationalist conspiracies, such as the New World Order, the Rothschilds, the Illuminati, the global Kabbalists can be traced back to the Jewish Bolshevism and subsequently the stab in the back myth. Rampant conspiratorial thinking is the product of modern times. The base, as in the economy, the means of production and our relation to production, has grown so complex no single individual or perhaps even group of individuals can possibly understand all of its many intricacies. The inability to entirely grasp these concepts breeds a fertile ground for conspiratorial thinking in regards to the base and superstructure, i.e. art, family, culture, science, education, politics, media, etc., etc. Concurrently, with the onset of global communication networks such as the internet, the task of disseminating these ideas is only made easier. Bad faith actors with the appropriate means are able to rehash these conspiracy theories from grains of truth in order to advocate and advance their class interests and create class division by jeopardizing class solidarity. This isn't to say that all conspiracy theories are false and menacing, but a weary examination is always necessary. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. In the recent April 26, 2020 episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, 
Oliver does an adequate job of summarizing the conspiracy theories surrounding COVID-19 and the right-wing media, such as the false belief that the virus was caused by 5G networks, downplaying the deaths, and characterizing the virus as less deadly than the common cold and not uncommon at all. He goes, he goes on to say that Rush Limbaugh has been pushing his four corners of deceit for years, which include government, academia, science, and media which he appropriately notes that these are the most the four most important groups to listen to during a public health crisis, the purpose of which, according to Oliver, is to establish his show as the sole orbiter of truth that gives him power. This reveals how a bad faith actor or actors can fabricate or bend a narrative to support their personal agenda and class interests. With that, I'm done. That was really thorough. Yeah, I thought that was good. Um, There was a couple of things I wanted to highlight that you were pointing out. Um, The first thing was you said that um, conspiracy theorists are uh, people who believe they have a special mode of thought. And I thought that was a good way to put it because it seems like, you know, it's like they're select select enlightened individuals who believe that a small group is manipulating events. And it's like these conspiracy theorists, they always have this, um, this mindset that they're like, misplaced geniuses or something so that that is something that's like i don't know you see a lot but um oh yeah as far as the frankfurt school goes um that is very interesting because i mean you're right they you know they started their group when they were in germany and then the nazis took over they had to leave Uh, most of the people in the frankfurt school were jewish um but as you correctly pointed out they didn't accept like Marxism, Leninism. They thought it was more of like a cultural movement that would happen. And they, they kind of helped like spawn what like people call the new left. Um, a lot of their ideas are like the founding of that kind of movement. So, um, you know, it's not really a surprise that like government agencies started, you know, funding like the Frankfurt school and like help get their publications out because it was moving people away from like Leninism. And they were like, Oh, it is like a cultural thing that we need to, you know, start fighting for. So um, it, it is interesting that like, um, I don't know when you talk about conspiracies, it, it gets become, it becomes more complex because like I said, the government was like actively helping, you know, um, Herbert Marcuse and like people like that, like get their information out. But um, there was a lot in there, so I'm curious um, what everybody else thought about that. One thing I'd like to say first was that um, the Frankfurt School School kind of focuses on uh, critical theory rather than Marxist-Leninism or Marxism. And critical theory does incorporate some Marxist ideas. Um, For example, one of – I can't remember the theorist's uh, name, but he was – he did like some of um, Gramsci's work and he used that uh, to support his ideas that uh, those classes um, that those people that I mentioned would lead a cultural revolution as the vanguard. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Yeah. I thought there were a lot of really cool ideas going on there. Um, And one thing I think that distinguishes um, the Marxist perspective from the, uh, conspiracist perspective that I think FVK was talking about um, was uh, the idea that like we as Marxists don't no, don't believe that there's just a tiny group like a like a secret council meeting or something that is running the entire 
a world like with the ruling class is not a monolith that all right. have the same exact interests the same exact uh motivations um the capitalist class is actually extremely diverse um in terms of what they actually are looking for and uh what kind of uh ways that they want to run things like a small uh business owner in the united states is obviously going to be much different from like an international uh you know corporation or like a banking firm or all of these type of things all have uh i mean they, they're capable of uh working together very effectively when they have similar interests but oftentimes their interests like especially like uh lenin talks about this like um how uh the co the corporations and monopolies of certain countries are have uh diametrically opposed interests to the interests of other countries so like a french company and a german company might both have an interest in uh the resources of an african uh country and so they might manipulate uh their governments using their wealth um and kind of control of the industry in order to prop up imperialist war so we as marxists do not believe that obviously the world is run by a small council meeting of people um so yeah I, th I think you guys touched on that a lot but um yeah i just thought it was worth noticing because I, I think it's interesting yeah I, i'm glad you put that was where i was gonna go is that you know the bourgeois versus the illuminati where the illuminati is a small group of people all united and making sure something happens i've never quite understood what that something was supposed to be other than a vague abstract of world domination versus the marxist conception of the bourgeois and their interests which is that you know, they are looking out for their interests, but even like one, <laughs> one billionaire's capitalist interests may be different from another capitalist interest. They do compete against each other. They do have conflicting aims and they only really band together when the workers basically get together and decide, you know, we're going to look out for our own interests at only at those moments does the bourgeois come in and unite as one whole group. Absolutely. It's much easier for them to collaborate than it is for workers to collaborate because, uh, you know, it's it's very, very difficult to get workers all across the world to uh, realize they have a common goal. But it's, you know, you only need a couple people in a corporation to talk to another corporation for them to all utilize their resources and pool their uh, mm -hmm. their collective power together in order to suppress any kind of threat to their hegemony. I think um, that the the modern geopolitics really shows how um conspiracies theories the foundation that like a small group of people can hold a secret and effectively maintain that secret um isn't true like so when you had the ussr the west the imperialist west was uh pretty united but in recent years especially since Trump has taken office, the, almost all of the imperialists are fighting for their own, um, their own interests now. For example, um, the Trump wants the EU to um, fund more of its military, and the EU agrees with this assumption, and there are um, people in the EU that are saying that we need to create our own military force, for example, France and Germany a little bit, but People are still hesitant for, for Germany creating a military. Um, this shows that, uh, and also as far as trade, um, they they want to tax um, 
the EU for um, the military protection they provide. And the EU doesn't want that, of course. So it's showing that the, these imperial forces are at each other's throats in the current climate, since they don't have a force to unite behind, like the um, USSR or, or terrorism. It's uh, they're also they're at each other's throats. Um, it's very divisive time. Um, another thing I wrote or read about when I was doing research was there was this um, scientist who calculated how many people certain conspiracy like certain conspiracy theories needed and how long it would take for them it to um like they how long for it to take to um for the public to become aware that this was a conspiracy theory and that it wasn't true and they had like it would require like upwards of uh, like it was like 50,000 people to to um fake the um moon landing and it would be revealed in like three or four years so it really demonstrates um how these secrets couldn't be kept private like the manhattan project is often pointed to as a successful conspiracy theory that um a group of people planned this out and it went um and they went about it without the public's knowledge but if you look at the um articles like published by the news newspapers during that time there was a lot of um speculation as to what they were doing and some people were on point and had guessed it so i mean that wasn't even a successful um conspiracy that's pretty interesting you know um, one thing we were talking about um i heard you guys discussing was like warring factions like in the bourgeoisie itself and that's where I think, like, I don't know, our mode of analysis, like, kind of shows, you know, a more realistic opinion of what's going on. Um, and you're right when saying, like, we can see this especially stark right now. Like, recently, Trump was on stage talking about how the globalists are to blame. And he's starting to use rhetoric like that again. And, yeah, so there's, like, obviously the monopoly-style bourgeoisie who very much wants to control things and keep things, like you know, maintain so they can keep the system running as is. But then there's like, you know, the petty bourgeois element who more wants to like deregulate and go like, you know, just try and rake in profits for themselves since these monopolies are, you know, have more control over it. So they're not just a homogenous group. They have, they obviously have different like um, agendas and stuff like that. But, you know, saying that they coalesce at the right time is is right because, you know, they'll always come together to, like, stop workers' power. Um, uh, another good, um, interesting thing to note, I, I was watching Mike, Michael Parenti talk about this. He was saying how it's interesting how, you know, when workers, you know, go and try and, like, strike or do something like that, it's always very public, you know, workers, like, conspiring together because the whole thing is, like, you know, we need to be seen. We need to be, you know, know that we have this power. But whenever it's like the bourgeoisie, they'll just, um, you know, they, they don't want it to be known. They'll just do it behind everybody's back. So that's what kind of like confuses everybody. I think they know that things are going on behind their backs. They think that it just has to be as simple as an answer that they're just all on the same page. But Right. Yeah, but... that was one of the big points that I wanted to like drive home uh, with my segment is that there is a baseline skepticism as to like the validity of the media the validity of the government you know are they lying to us and on some level i think most people even you know right-wingers would agree that yeah we are being duped there are elites that are in control of society 
it's just, you know, when you're at that point, it's fertile ground for communism because it's obvious someone could just come in and say, yes, that's true. Look at the bourgeoisie. Look at the class structure. Look at how our economy is set up. It's obvious. But then you also have people who are distractions like Alex Jones, and they say, you know, no, it's it's the globalists, it's the Bilderbergs, it's the reptiles. And, you know, he, uh, you know, I'm glad that Tommy mentioned how Trump uses the term globalist because that's a, that's a direct dog whistle to Alex Jones and all those info warriors out there because that is their preferred term for the Illuminati. Uh, I think Illuminati is a little bit too on the nose. Like it sounds a little bit too conspiracy crazy. So if they call it something like the globalist, that of course blunts the real, you know, meaning, which is uh, the Jews, the international Jews, um, you know, and uh, so yeah, it's it's a little Alex Jones dog whistle, and it's sort of a Nazi dog whistle rolled up into one. Yeah, yeah, uh, and talking about everyone knows they're duped is that's usually where a lot of these conspiracies come from is everybody knows that something is off they just can't figure out what exactly it is and they lack the education or the answers amongst themselves to come up with a legitimate one that's how you get ancient aliens you know white people couldn't build the pyramids we don't know how to do that so obviously these lesser people quote unquote couldn't have done it they needed some kind of help why wouldn't it be aliens uh you know all these you know, politicians that look psychopathic in all of their fucking photos, they must be lizard people (laughs) because they just don't look human. Like the answer obviously isn't those things, but they're picking up on these little signs that like something doesn't make sense and they just run with it in a completely nonsensical direction and historically fascists and what would you call them? Bad faith actors as I think we've referred to them already who are looking after their own power will exploit this ignorance amongst the general populace uh, for their own, for their own goals in order to turn them, turn them against each other, against the people who would like to help them like us Marxist Leninists. Yeah. I mean, people are desperate for answers and they will listen to the first person who comes along, who sounds charismatic enough to sound like they know what they're talking about. And if they will give them a convincing enough pitch, I mean, Alex Jones, his radio show, it's, uh, you know, it's every day he is, uh, you know, on the radio, on the Internet, making podcasts, making videos. And he pretty much runs his own, like, news network now. uh, And it provides these people a 24-hour feedback loop where they don't know what to think. So I'm going to go to InfoWars and I'm going to look at what Alex Jones says and he will tell me what to think. And it's that sort of mentality. That's why uh, in my segment, I compared it to religious fanaticism. And the right wing uh, likes to utilize religious fanaticism uh, and weaponize it in the same way that they utilize and weaponize conspiracy theories. And I think the Trump presidency has done that probably better than any other right wing presidency uh, in American history. And speaking of religious fanaticism, I think, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't have specific stats on this, but I would not be surprised at all um, if there's a direct correlation between uh, extremely pro-capitalist right-wing 
countries and prevalence of conspiracy theories because absolutely often for a lot of people who are extreme who are raised in an extremely pro-capitalist environment they see the market and they see capitalism as essentially infallible uh essentially like this perfect system that is somehow just being corrupted in different ways um like every time you talk to uh, someone who's extremely pro-capitalist, they'll always claim credit for the amazing things the market has done. But then whenever you point out any sort of problems that come about, like for, like if you talk about like the financial crash in 2008 or something, they'll immediately say, oh, no, actually, we're not we're not in real capitalism. We're living in uh, corporatism. We're living in like a state exactly state managed uh, sort of semi socialist, semi capitalist kind of weird in between area where you have like basically it's mostly socialism right when it doesn't work right if they always they always criticize socialism for this but actually that like the invisible hand is almost like this kind of divine thing that they can't really fully ever uh understand or control but it it's somehow like if you fail in capitalism it's always on you capitalism did not do this to you 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 failed capitalism right like and so yeah. a lot of people can't deal with that because under our like hyper capitalist mentality if there are winners and there are losers and since this is a meritocracy anyone who is a loser must obviously be a a failure of a person and people can't deal with that so these people who are raised in say the united states which is extremely pro-capitalist you can't even talk about socialism at all or any kind of alternate system when your life is going downhill and you're struggling with all of these problems. You're struggling with debt. You're struggling with, you know, a failed business idea. You're working a minimum wage job that humiliates you and makes you feel terrible. You, you have the idea of any alternate system is completely outside of your grasp. You view capitalism as an infallible thing, and so obviously you're not going to deflect the blame onto yourself because that's terrible. You know, nobody wants to feel like they are personal failures, even though that's what capitalist ideology tells you. So it deflect that sort of blame onto some other group and that kind of leads you into this sort of crypto fascist thinking of blaming it on some other outside force mm -hmm. for economic things that are completely outside of the average person's understanding like the average person doesn't understand you know uh international trade dynamics they don't understand uh, outsourcing of jobs they don't understand any of this kind of stuff that is uh you know directly contributing to the material conditions of their life but most people don't know what capitalism is. Exactly. If you go up to the average person, like be like, "Oh, I'm an anti-capitalist," they'll look at you and say, "What the fuck does that mean? What is what is a capitalist? What is what is an anti-capitalist?" They can't and, tell you what any you of this still is. Still use your phone. You still yeah. use your phone. That's ironic. They'll, they'll think that uh, capitalism has always existed. They'll say things that it's like, natural. Oh, yeah, well, they'll think capitalism is just when people trade goods or capitalism is just when people are free to do what they want to do. Uh, capitalism is, um, you know, it's just it's just a system where no uh, barriers are put up around people, things like that. Like weird, abstract, extremely idealistic interpretations of capitalism that have no real grounding in reality whatsoever. It's, it's a perfect example of idealism. Um, no, they don't actually look at like what the relations of capitalism is. They'll think like you know people in the Middle Ages were living in capitalism, which mm -hmm. makes absolutely no sense. Well, because yeah. they had markets, so it must have been capitalism because capitalism is markets. Of there yeah. it is. That's it. And they always like 
refer to it as crony capitalism when it's yes. you know not not exactly they think it's somebody taking advantage of the system but um you know just to kind of expand a little bit on what we're talking about here um you know joe he gave a good definition for what a conspiracy theory is versus you know a real life conspiracy um so one of the reasons why i called this like the conspiracy mindset is because i feel like it does extend a little bit um and I was thinking about this and I thought of like, I don't know what I would say, three different types of like conspiracies. And this is just me. This is just what I coined it. But th there seems to be one active conspiracies, which are like real, you know, things that are perpetrated by the government or the bourgeoisie. Then there's like two, which is accusation based conspiracies. And this is where like the government or the mainstream media kind of uses a conspiracy theory style mindset to like accuse other countries of engaging in these vast, grand, like crazy things. Um, we see that a lot definitely now. And I would put third, there's like the assumed conspiracy. And this is more like on the public. And I feel like this is what we're seeing a lot of now with coronavirus. It's like, oh, well, I'm not like an Alex Jones person. I don't like look up, you know, Illuminati or anything like that. But I know the government's shady. So I'm going to fill in the blanks and like, you know, there has to be some other thing. So we kind of see a lot of that too. Anarchists. Um, your your uh, hypothesis is similar to um Michael Barton's. The I mentioned him in my uh, essay. Uh, my, Michael Barton's um identified three classifications of conspiracy theories. Um, event mm -hmm. conspiracy theories. This refers to limited and well-defined events. Examples may include such conspiracy theories as those concerning the Kennedy assassination. 9-11, and the spread of AIDS, systematic conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theory is believed to have broad goals, usually conceived as securing control of a country, a region, or even the entire world. The goals are sweeping, whilst the conspiracy machinery is generally simple. A single evil organization implements a plan to infiltrate and subvert existing institutions. This is a common scenario in conspiracy theories that focus on alleged machinations of Jews, Freemasons, communism, and the Catholic Church, and third, super conspiracy theories. For Brocken, such theories link multiple alleged conspiracy theories together hierarchically. At the summit is a distant but all-powerful evil force. He cites examples are the idea of David Ike and Milton William Cooper, who I have no idea who those are, but that's what the Wikipedia says. David Icke, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the original tinfoil hat guy because didn't he think like the government was trying to hack you through radio waves? So if you put on a piece of tinfoil over your head, it'll block them. That would not surprise me. Yeah, I think. But uh, it's interesting because David Icke was a direct inspiration on Alex Jones. And you're right. He was the lizard guy. And Alex Jones, you know, he tried to, like, distance himself. Uh, eventually, he was like, oh, David Icke, he's crazy. Uh, I don't believe in David Icke. Uh, but, you know, it is it is obvious how he took inspiration from that. And yeah. uh, earlier, a comrade Keck mentioned something about uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and Pat Robertson and all those types. And I feel like it's an interesting point to make a comparison because i think um having been someone who sort of 
embraced a lot of conspiracy theorists uh, when I was younger. You know, I was like 15 when I was a real info warrior. I watched like Alex Jones and stuff every day. Um, and part of it is you get a dopamine rush when you have when you think that you have access to this secret forbidden knowledge that nobody else knows, you know, it makes you feel, um, you know, a, a sense of accomplishment. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm on top because I know what's going on. I'm not like all the other sheep around me. So it gives you like this, you know, sense of, uh, simply you know, it makes you feel special. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel special. And in the same way, you know, it's kind of like religion when you, you know, when you feel the Holy Spirit, it makes you feel special and you feel like, you know, because I believe in this religion it makes me feel really good. And it's sort of the same thing about conspiracy theories. Yeah. And it, you can see that just with lefties too. that same sort of yeah. uh, arrogance about themselves. If I figured it out and the rest of you peasants haven't like this, why <laughs> every this is why most leftists on Twitter are absolutely fucking insufferable. Uh, <laughs> it's that little attitude. Oh, yeah, the smugness, the smugness is incredible. And, you know, I'll be frank, I do a fair share of that myself, but I feel like it's directed at the right people. Uh, I'm not out there picking fights, uh, you know, with those who di who didn't cast the first stone. Uh, I'll put it like that. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not out there just trying to give people bait. I'm not like, you know, out there talking shit about anarchists. Uh, just yeah. like come at me, hit me up in the DMs. I dare you. You know, just well, I wait I for like, somebody to make a bad post, and I try to respond. And I try to be constructive like that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it also just kind of touches on the fact that we need to be humble too. Like even mm -hmm. as Marxist-Leninists, we have to say that we do not have all the answers to everything, um, and yeah. we don't have perfect knowledge of the world. Um, Marxism is not in infallible religious doctrine uh like a like a biblical passage or something like that that we can just quote and know all the truth immediately like marxism and well historical materialism dialectical materialism is a tool set that allows us to kind of um make sense of things from a material lens yeah. we can kind of look at how society is structured how people work how people interact with each other on a daily basis and kind of um unpick kind of the mechanisms of our culture through that like we look at reality first and foremost and kind of discern make our own judgments based off of how reality actually is instead of how we want it to be like mm -hmm. Karl marx when he was uh just starting off he was reading uh, he was reading Adam Smith. He was reading David Ricardo. He was reading, you know, prominent capitalist thinkers because he didn't start off just thinking, oh, what is my ideal society like? I'm just going to speculate about that all day. He actually looked right. at how capitalist production worked, how all the mechanisms of um, how, pro how products and commodities were produced under capitalism. He studied capitalism intensely through capitalist authors in order to come to his conclusions. So it wasn't just an idealistic kind of utopian uh, kind of imagining. It was actually a, a, a profound kind of way of understanding history and the progress of history through materialism. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's interesting researching Marxism coming from like a science 
uh, perspective because uh, I'm a undergrad science student. And, you know, the first thing they tell you to do is you need to make observations. Mm -hmm. You know, the scientific method begins first and foremost with observations. Then you try to formulate a hypothesis. And that's exactly what Marx did when he was and Engels did when they were writing their theoretical works. They uh, said, this is how capitalism works. This is how it relates to the class system. This is how it relates to historical development. Uh, and it's all intertwined. And it was in that process, they get to like step three, which is you make a theory. And uh, once the theory has been developed, you, you can then make predictions. You can, once you formed a model, you can make predictions on what will happen. And so it, it's from that that Marxism derives its value. It provides uh, a, theo a theoretical structure for which you can analyze your society. You can understand the class systems, uh, the dynamics at play, and the economic role in society and how it all relates uh, ultimately to historical development. And Marx's theories actually, I mean, a lot, a lot of his theories actually were proven to be incorrect. He was not a prophet. He was not, uh, you know, capable of absolutely predicting everything that was going to happen. Yeah. But that's why I think reading theory is so important. Like people start off on the left with very idealistic notions uh, and they'll criticize past socialist projects for different mistakes that they made and things like that. But I think one of the most important things about reading theory and looking at history is a lot of the debates and a lot of the theories that people on the left today have, have actually been tried before in the past. People have brought up these theories in the past. They've tried them. And for reasons, for certain reasons, they didn't actually work out. But oftentimes we're completely disconnected from that history and that kind of experience um in, in our yeah. modern world because it's not taught to us at all so you end up with people kind of just coming into the whole scene thinking that they know everything right off the bat um and not really even knowing anything about uh any of these past things so they're essentially going in blind that's why you need to learn from history and you need to learn from thinkers in the past who actually may have thought similar things to you but were maybe disproven and had to actually change their hypothesis and their theory yeah. I mean, it's like when you get some people talking, it's like, you know, they almost sound like they want to just go off and like create their own ideal society. And it's like, well, I mean, like guys like Robert Owen have done that before, you know, and it's like a lot of these things have been tried, you know, and they a lot of times they don't understand that. But, um, you It'll know, something this time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something with me, like we're, we're talking about our mode of analysis and how we like view the world and everything. And um, for me, I used to be like a conspiracy theory type person too. And I was like in early high school and, you know, for me, what kind of annoying was like, as it went on, eventually I felt like I kind of hit like a wall. Like I was like, okay, I mean, these people are evil. They want to do bad and they're colluding with each other, but it just didn't really go anywhere. So I kind of like hit a rut with it where I didn't, couldn't learn anymore. And that's what I found like interesting about Marxism later on. Cause I was like, okay, this is like, you know, admitting that there's like an elite group, you know, it kind of, I, I was able to see some of the things, but, you know, obviously after like learning about it much more, I was like, okay, this is something that can be like studied on for a long time. It can be built. It will change as time goes on. 
so it seemed a lot more flexible. It's a lot, it's a lot less rigid than just like accepting like conspiracy theories. So um, that was just like, you know, what I experienced personally, like going from conspiracy mindset to like, you know, actually trying to like take time to read things and like analyze the world. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a very addicting feedback loop because you can just tune in to like Infowars or go to your favorite like conspiracy website, your QAnon vlog or whatever. And you can get your daily fix. Uh, right. You can retweet it. You can uh, share it on Facebook, whatever. And then you can go on throughout your day. You don't like have to dedicate actual analytical brain power into researching it. Yeah. And, you know, y- you're screwed if you do, because then you realize like all the conspiracy crap is just, it- it's just bullshit. <laughs> and so it's kind of. Oh, I was just yeah. going to say, it's kind of funny because, like, I don't know, when I was in, like, conspiracy theories, I, I like, avoided the news like the plague. I kind of thought, like, oh, I can only, like, check out these guys who are, like, more enlightened or whatever. But, you know, after, as time went on, you know, when I learned more about this stuff, I was like, well, I mean, yeah, the news is lying a lot. That much is, like, very obvious. But, I mean, we got to, like, you know, analyze what we got and we can't just write off everything. So that's something that the conspiracy folks do a lot too. They won't like even bother with like, I don't know, messing with any mainstream media at all. That's something I try to address in my essay. Like right now we live in a time where you can just accuse any source of being fake news and you can just dismiss it without having to actually um, go through the material as in like analyzing their claims so, for example, yeah. like if, if you present a article that disproves something or says uh, something about race or something, people are like, oh, that's fake news. That's just biased. It's like Kim Jong Un well, isn't dead. Yeah, it was like, well, just because it's biased doesn't mean. Well, I don't know if that necessarily highlights my point, but I'm trying to say is just because something is biased doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. Just if it's biased, it just implies that we need to examine it with all a critical news, lens. All news sources are biased, but the 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 important thing is you need to have the critical tools to unpack the different biases of different things mm-hmm. and understand where they're coming from. What are the material reasons behind why they're biasing their news in a certain way, and then kind of draw your own conclusions. You shouldn't be ever listening to just one source and making it your kind of uh, thought leader that you need to follow all the time because yeah. if you're just worshipping one person or kind of basing your entire thought process on one person then you're missing out on something because everybody is missing some element in their analysis you need to kind of really reach a broad kind of spectrum of thought and draw your own conclusions and to be fair like most conspiracy theorists they don't just listen to like one dude it's a continuum you know, you'll listen to Alex Jones, you'll listen to Jordan Peterson, you'll listen to Stefan Molyneux, uh, this person, that person, the other person. And there is a lot of overlap between Alex Jones, like InfoWarriors and uh, QAnon folks. I mean, it's and then you have like end of days, crazy religious fanatics think you know, folks like that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a giant continuum. And usually what what it revolves around is the use of cer- certain buzzwords. So, you know, they'll find themselves following and subscribing to people who rant against the globalist, or they talk about like, you know, how the Bilderbergs control society. So there, there are certain buzzwords that they all use to 
you know, sort of signal to one another, like, hey, I'm in on the, I'm in on it. I know what's up. It's like the fool's gold version of class consciousness. It's like a pseudo <laughs> class consciousness that exactly. people kind of leap on uh, without really knowing. So, yeah, to that end, I think it's extremely devastating uh, in ter- like towards the working class here in the United States. And, it, you know, even if these conspiracies aren't being funded by the bourgeois, it ultimately, I think, serves to their benefit because it distracts so many workers with all this bullshit. It prevents them from putting the real puzzle pieces together and uncovering, mm-hmm. like, class consciousness. It's pretty bad. Yeah, the, their motivation is, um, as we said, bad. they're bad faith actors and they're trying to um, they spin these narratives to support their agenda and um, class interests, and which are which one of their class interests is to, um, I guess, uh, jeopardize class solidarity and divide the working class. Yeah, you never see uh, rich CEOs and millionaires subscribing to these conspiracy theories. It's always the working class, uh, you know, people who are kind of at the lower rungs of society, people who are down on their luck, who are really into this kind of thing. Um, which I think kind of shows that this is, it's indicating that there's a, a material kind of lack that these people have that's kind of driving them towards looking for answers. Yeah. And like, look at how devastating the conspiracies about coronavirus are, you know, are going to be towards the working class. You know, when all these people who think that, oh, it's, it's Bill Gates who created the virus in a lab or it's the 5G towers, you know, they're going to take to the streets and protest and they're all going to congregate and break social distancing rules. And it's just going to lead to another outbreak of the virus, another bloom. And we'll all be in a world of shit due to their ignorance. But it's as well as the the bleach. Yeah, as well (laughs) as the racism that this is spawning against uh, Asian people, Asian Americans, and Asian countries in particular. Um, Just pretty devastating uh, kind of move towards xenophobia and kind of pre fascism, I would say, uh, in terms of how much other countries are being demonized for our own country's absolutely abysmal failure to address even the most basic uh, elements of this coronavirus. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The victims of communism Memorial foundation added all of the deaths of coronavirus to the victims of communism. Despite the majority of uh, deaths from coronavirus being in capitalist countries who could have done many things to prevent this coronavirus is communist don't you know it came from china it has to be communist i like how people always say uh china is extremely capital like hyper capitalist but then once it does something wrong it immediately becomes hardcore communist just full-on uh stalinist <laughs> you know not that right. I stalinism is a thing but you know people act like it's 1984 all of a sudden once it makes uh, any kind of misstep shrugging yeah. socialism you see that especially among the Hong Kong protesters because a lot of them are anarchist and they're like, oh, China is not a real socialist country. They're hyper capitalist. But then, you know, when it comes to them beating down the Hong Kong protesters, they're like, yeah, they're red fascist commie scum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you talk to somebody though about China, like just the, the lay person, everyday person, they'll be like, 
oh yeah, they're like a communist dictatorship, right? And then you're like, oh, well, China has all these successes. And then they're like, oh yeah, that's because they're like this bully capitalist country. So yeah. it's always either or. When you think about color revolutions, they really are basically conspiracies. I mean, they're usually fascists, so yeah. Yeah. They, they both believe in these conspiracy theories, and yeah, they are conspiracies themselves. I mean, for those who might be out of the loop, um, the Hong Kong protests have been funded by a group called the National Endowment of uh, for Democracy. This is essentially a... Uh, it's, it's a CIA a, front. Yeah, it's called a non-governmental organization, but it's obviously a CIA front to yep. anybody who like does two seconds of research. When your left-wing protest is being supported by uh, Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton and the CIA. And uh, the Proud Boys. In the leadership, and the Proud Boys, yeah. Uh, you know that there's at least something a little bit uh, fishy going on. No, no, no. They're just, they're just pro-liberty. Everything's oh, fine. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. also That's important great. to mention the Fong, the Fong Gong, I think. Fa Falun Gong. Falun Gong. Gong. Whatever. Um, they're in the Philippines, right? No, that's no, that's, in China. Uh, that's no. the Chinese Scientology type cult thing. They're yeah. the group they're... that are always like, "Oh, China's harvesting organs and selling them to the black market. Oh, mm. China's massacring Uyghurs, Uyghur so, Muslims." And yeah, that's they're... where all that comes from. Yeah. They're for the her they they receive money from the cia and this is all documented and they expose the as you mentioned uh organ harvesting hong kong um epoch times the uyghur um genocide the epoch times is i think specifically a fallen gong thing i actually got a it's a front group yeah i got a newspaper from epoch times delivered to my door uh just i mean I guess they're just sending out to everybody, but um, yeah, just it was it was a cover to cover newspaper. Every single article dedicated to um, how uh, how China was responsible for the coronavirus intentionally, and how they needed to basically rename the coronavirus to the uh, CCP virus. Yeah, oh and they have like at least four different fucking YouTube channels that all have millions of subscribers that just constantly rag on china and just say the most outlandish shit possible i'm curious how um r sort of right-wing conspiracy theorists see like they assume that the state is kind of this like somewhat like basically like a socialist or communist like the united states government is basically socialist etc etc uh <laughs> they, they, etc but like how do they how do they reconcile that with the fact that the united states has uh, been basically nonstop overthrowing and destabilizing. Well, this countries. is that's probably the greatest trick the United States government ever pulled on anybody was making them associate big government with welfare programs and not military. Like you'll hear often from libertarians is you know I don't support a big government but I support having a big military, which is just a big government. If the government has a big military, you can't there's nothing to really stop it from doing right. whatever the hell the it wants. The state is when you provide for poor people. The state is not. Mm -hmm. uh, Unless you're a people's any... militia. <laughs> well, uh, right. The, yeah. the obvious answer is people's militia. But I'm like, just joking. Yeah. Obviously, in Marxist terms, even a people's militia is a state. So, you know. Yeah. A lot of libertarians, though, they do seem to be non-interventionist. That's what they'll call themselves. They claim to be. But as we've seen, the CIA will cook up an excuse to intervene. So 
you know, as much as you can call yourself a non-interventionalist, uh, you know, it, it really remains to be seen for all these right winger types, these hyper capitalists. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can obviously. just say that people are being persecuted in another country and they're like, well, we got to go win and save them. I hate to do it, but we got it. Yeah, it's, it's classic double uh, double talk. Like, double on think, one, yeah. yeah, on one hand, they're saying, oh, we're not going to invade any country. They preach isolationism. But then on the other hand, like, look at Nazi Germany or any other fascist country. On the other hand, they're like, oh, we need to return our uh country to its former glory and what that means usually is invading other countries because mm -hmm. that's the predication of imperialism like resource extraction if america wants to reclaim this you know grand 60s era economically then it has to go out and do some neo-colonization again. yeah it's, it's interesting yeah. how basically the one time period that people can point to uh, people in the united states can point to as like when capitalism was great was right after World War II, which basically is them implying that capitalism thrives off of uh, war. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, that was basically the only time in which America was riding high in the world was right after every single other country on Earth was completely devastated. And, and that's right. an open admission. It's openly admitted in like then, history and, classes. <laughs> so like after that, basically everything was just absolutely terrible. So like that's your only time that you can look to for when capitalism was great and then everything else is bad. Is that really a system that is uh, really w worth uh, defending if that was the only time that was really awesome? Yeah. And this kind of like, that kind of ties into like, I don't know, Trump's whole using the word globalist again on stage. Cause it's like, uh, you know, there, there's something going on here. Cause it's like, on one hand, he's saying, oh, we need to um, bring jobs back to the US. And he'll say things like, we need to re um, reinforce our supply chains. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, we know that, you know, imperialism is a necessity for them to like, you know, keep the system running. So it's like, is Donald Trump really going to go through all that work to like bring jobs back to America? What would that actually imply? You know what I mean? Well, so yeah. it's like, From he has to, it has to be like a point where he's lying. Huh? From a materialist perspective, we know that um, companies are motivated purely by profit they need to be uh getting constant increasing rates of return on their investments um so of course like they're not going to just be shamed into coming back to the united states to you know help american workers if it's not profitable for them i mean you know nobody was nobody uh from a marxist perspective would ever think that trump would just be able to single-handedly turn the forces of uh, global imperialism and third world <laughs> exploitation around and just completely bring back the glory days that were actually the exception. Like the glory yeah. days of the 1950s were the exception to the rule, not not just some uh, uncorrupted time. That... Well, I want to speak to the, the uh, glory, supposed glory days. What people don't understand is that the supposed glory days of capitalism, um, what caused that? Well, first you had the plant, and this is something I say when, um, oh, anyone says that a planned economy doesn't work, is essentially, or America was essentially had a planned economy during World War II, and it functioned really well. They were getting all their tanks and whatnot that they needed for the war, and after the war, you had a devastated um, Asia, and you had a devastated um, Europe. 
So the, through the Marshall Plan, the United States used their money to invest in Europe and Asia, thus extracting the wealth from those, or not all the wealth, but just help supporting their interests. And also there, during that time period, the taxes, like income tax was super high and stuff like that. Yeah, and it is interesting to note too. I think you're right when saying, I mean, of course, Trump couldn't and wouldn't just like bring jobs back to America because what that would actually imply being done. But it is interesting that he has all these war powers right now because if he really wanted to, I mean, he could get like something done because <laughs> he has the actual like physical power to do um, like command businesses right now, kind of what we were you were just talking about during World War II. So yeah. But um, yeah, we've been going on for a while here. Um, I felt like we covered a lot of good things. Uh, I'm glad we were able to go from like the beginning of, you know, uh, you know, intellectual conspiracy theories all the way up until now. But yeah, was there anything else anybody wanted to add before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I think this was a pretty good podcast. It was pretty comprehensive. Uh, of course, if you have comments, if you want to know more, about conspiracy theories, or if you have a suggestion for an episode idea, let us know in the comments uh, on this video. Uh, and yeah, I thank everybody for there being. Was one thing I want to say: um, Tactical Sport mentioned a correlation between um, conspiracy theories and capitalist nations. Uh, one thing I'd like to highlight, though, is that when through my research, I found that uh, conspiracy theories are cross-cultural phenomena. That um, like they give the example of um er the Arab region, uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theories in regards to um anti-Semitism in the Arab re region due to um Zionism and whatnot. But um, the the other thing I wanted to highlight is that uh, the, the we're right now facing a time that breeds um these conspiracy theories. We're connected like never before. We are facing this super complex economy that is the base, and we are we aren't able to understand it. So that leads to um, this notion, this really um, seductive notion of creating theories that are easy solutions to understanding this complex base. And these notions regard the superstructure, as I said. Um, and that's from politics to art and culture. Um, people are then use these narratives to craft, um, to basically support their agenda. And I just wanted to make sure that was clear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, that's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, well, on that note, uh, thanks again for Comrade Denke and Comrade Keck for preparing those reports. We will see you all on our third episode. We'll do a current events episode coming up sometime soon. So, yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll see you then. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, peace. Thanks Thank for you. coming. Peace out, everybody. All right. Have solidarity, everybody. Goodbye.